This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas, powered by U-Mobile. Good morning, you're listening to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mukhtar. As the US Federal Reserve embarks on an unprecedented monetary policy tightening cycle, the US dollar has also strengthened in relation to most currencies. To help better understand the impact of the global dollar cycle on the world economy, with me today is Maurice Obsfeld, Professor of Economics at the University of California. He was formerly the Chief Economist at the International Monetary Fund. Professor Obsfeld, welcome to The Breakfast Grill. Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, I'd like to start with a little bit of a historical background, because while U.S. dollar dominance in the global economy is accepted as the norm today and has been for many years, that hasn't always been the case. So how did the U.S. dollar ascend to the peak position that it's in? Well, the U.S. dollar um, vied for primacy with the the British pound in the period between the two wars. Britain was a declining power. The U.S. was a rising power. Uh, At the time, the U.S. was quite reluctant to embrace a role of global leadership, but that changed with the Second World War. At the end of the war, um, the U.S. was the undisputed prime economic power in the world, with uh, Europe and Japan in ruins, uh, Southeast Asia devastated uh, by war. And uh, this put it in the position to not only exercise global leadership, but for its currency to become the main currency on the world stage. Add to that that the um, International Monetary Fund, which was uh, agreed at the Bretton Woods Conference in 1944, primarily created by negotiations between the U.S. and the U.K., set up an international monetary system in which uh, the dollar had pride of place. All countries in the world were required to peg their currencies to the U.S. dollar if they were members of the IMF. So that that more or less set the stage for U.S. dominance. And that has continued and, in fact, broadened in a sense, even though the IMF system of fixed exchange rates ended in the early 1970s, uh, as international capital markets and international trade have, have expanded with the dollar playing a pivotal role as the leading reserve currency, the leading invoice currency, the leading funding currency, the leading anchor currency in the world compared to, you know, all possible competitors of which the uh, only the euro comes close. Hmm. As you mentioned, the position of the US dollar as the world's reserve currency means that cycles of appreciation and depreciation have broad impact still on other currencies. And in your recent paper, you posit that an appreciation of the US dollar is predictive of downturns in emerging markets or developing economies. And this is so even though the US share of production in the world economy has declined in contrast to emerging markets. So can you walk me through this correlation? How does this mechanism work? Is it necessarily that an appreciation of the US dollar will mean that emerging markets go through a slowdown or eventually recession? Well, there, there's no 100% guarantee, but this has been the general pattern, you know, in the sense that we observe very um, high negative correlations between the strength of the dollar and a range of indicators that are critical for emerging markets. Now, there are a number of mechanisms behind this. One of of the most important is that uh, emerging markets um, tend to borrow considerably in dollars. If you look at the, uh, you know, debt liabilities 
of emerging market businesses. Uh, they're, they're roughly around 80% in dollars. So this means that you know if you if you have a debt denominated in dollars and the dollar strengthens, then that debt becomes worth much more relative to the domestic currency in which you are likely to to be doing business. And so that that makes it harder to to borrow because your financial position is weaker. So this this is really a major factor through which a strengthening of the dollar propagates tighter financial conditions throughout the world. And that's another key correlation we see that a uh, stronger dollar is correlated with lower asset prices throughout the world uh, in addition to commodity prices. Um, with with lower capital flows to emerging markets, with lower um, leverage and credit extension throughout the world. And this is, of course, going to be negative, particularly for emerging markets. Hmm. Now, the current U.S. dollar strengthening is being described as a doom loop. And the conditions this time around make it particularly virulent um, for the global economy, what are the factors feeding into this loop? Well, the the you know the negative correlations I described are um, operative pretty much always, but there's a particular vulnerability now because countries throughout the world, including emerging economies, are dealing with a, a particularly severe problem of inflation, something they haven't had to deal with uh, in a while, and certainly not on this universal scale where everybody is facing the same problem. Now, you know, we know what, what the drivers are. You know, COVID was a global shock. Reopening has been a bumpy process for everyone due to constricted supply chains. The problems have been somewhat less in uh, Asia, partially because countries in Asia dealt with COVID better, partially because you know, they're, they're more embedded into global, the global supply chain centered on China. Know, for many reasons, but um, is really a global problem. Also, there's the Ukraine war, the effect of that on food prices, on energy prices, which were um, elevated even before the war broke out in uh, February of this year. So, uh, you know, imagine that you're a country dealing with uh, inflation. So your central bank has been raising interest rates and suddenly the Fed hikes interest rates, the dollar strengthens, your currency depreciates, that's going to raise import prices further. That's going to worsen your inflationary pressures. And you as a central bank trying to control inflation are going to say, well, I need to tighten more because um, uh, otherwise my efforts to control inflation are going to be for naught. Uh, Many emerging markets, uh, most I would say, the, the exceptions are oil exporters, ha have not returned to their pre-COVID growth trends. So dampening the economy is not what you need from the standpoint of promoting growth and employment, but it is what you have to do if you want to control inflation. Um, there's another aspect of this that, that is potentially worrisome, which is during the pandemic, countries throughout the world, and this includes emerging markets, um, built up their government debt levels because they, they lost revenues, they provided support to their economies, and they had unusually high expenditures on um, health-related uh, uh, categories of, uh, of goods and services. Now, uh, the interest rate on that debt is likely going to uh, rise over time in an environment of higher interest rates. That increases fiscal burdens. That might further spook capital markets and lead to further depreciation. And so you can see the kind of um, uh, self-reinforcing mechanisms involved here 
that make the current situation particularly fragile. Uh, what needs to happen to the U.S. economy or to the U.S. dollar um, before we get out of the current appreciation cycle? What exactly needs to happen for the U.S. dollar to weaken in the short term? Well, there's not much that's going to weaken it as long as the Fed is um, raising interest rates. And, you know, fundamentally, the U.S. economy received a huge boost from, you know, a succession of fiscal packages throughout the pandemic, but particularly those that occurred, you know, at the end of 2020, early 2021, uh, which put massive amounts of purchasing power into the hands of U.S. households. That helped the U.S. return to its pre-COVID growth path uh, earlier than other economies, but has also fueled um, a very, very tight labor market, which continues. And so um, for the Fed to bring inflation down really requires some slowing of that labor market some slowing of the U.S. economy. And that's hard to do when, you know, households still have um, considerable savings as a result of these fiscal packages. And there's so much demand for labor. So this is something that is, you know, spilling over to the rest of the world. And until the Fed is convinced that the U.S. economy is slowing, uh, it's unlikely they're going to they're gonna relent. You know, the problem is that monetary policy works with the lag domestically, particularly in an economy as big and diverse as the U.S. The housing market has responded very quickly. Other sectors have responded less quickly. But for emerging markets that face higher interest rates and weaker currencies, the effects are pretty immediate. And so um, it's a delicate problem for the Fed to figure out when it has gone far enough. If they actually wait to see you know, very concrete evidence of sharply falling prices and a slowing economy, they may well have gone too far. And with emerging markets, not just emerging markets, but uh, advanced economies in Europe hiking as the Fed hikes, we could have a recipe for a significant global slowdown. Hmm. I'm speaking to Maurice Opsfeld, professor of economics at the University of California. After the break, what tools do emerging markets have to mitigate the negative impact of a strong U.S. dollar? Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. You are listening to the BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. Thanks for staying tuned to the Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokhtar, and on the show with me today is Maurice Obsfeld, Professor of Economics at the University of California. He was also formerly the Chief Economist at the International Monetary Fund. So it does seem to me that um, the global economy and emerging market, well, all economies really, they're at present held hostage to U.S. economic conditions of high inflation and low unemployment at the moment. And that's really the only recipe to, is just, just to wait it out. Is that the case? Or are there steps that can be taken by um, economies outside of the U.S. to mitigate what's happening at the moment? A lot of this is driven by the U.S., but um, there are other factors you know, simply driven by reopening uh, throughout the world and the Ukraine war. So I wouldn't say this is entirely um, a U.S. issue. There would be some tightening in uh, response to inflation pressures, even without the exceptional U.S. situation. But, you know, things would not be as extreme as they are now. What can emerging markets do? Well, they can um, intervene in foreign exchange markets to limit the depreciation of their currencies. The downside of that is that with pressures on currencies this strong, they might have to use considerable um, amounts of their international reserves to attain their exchange rate goals, because when they intervene, they basically um, 
sell dollar reserves and buy their own currencies to try to strengthen their their currencies. Now, one of one of the factors that is helping emerging markets, certainly the more important ones, the bigger ones, and I'm thinking of you know Indonesia, Malaysia, Brazil for the moment, is that they do have international reserves. So the markets look at that and understand that there's a war chest that the government has to uh, to backstop the economy. So if you run down those reserves in any significant way, you risk harming market confidence. Mm-hmm. Another thing that um, countries could do is they could um, impose capital controls on financial outflows. This is something that Malaysia did um, in the uh, Asian crisis in the late 1990s. That would relieve pressure on currencies. But again, it comes with other potential costs. It may be hard to enforce, given that countries have to some degree liberalized markets. Uh, there may be reputational costs if you if you limit non-resident flows, because those are you know the international players that you might want to depend on in the future. And generally, a number a number of governments have uh, relied on those inflows to um, market their uh, their debts, particularly um, higher higher volumes of of borrowing during the pandemic. So again, that that could hamper you in the future, and governments are going to be reluctant to do that. So there are things that can be done, but there are negative trade-offs that make them uh, costly to some degree. Now, the other thing you might think of is actions that the U.S. might take, short of compromising its own fight against inflation. The U.S., for example, could um, the Federal Reserve could re-trigger um, swap lines, such as it used in the global financial crisis, and then again more recently after the uh, emergence of COVID, and could extend them to a broader set of countries. And that type of support or signal of support from the U.S. can be very impressive for the financial markets and have an effect on exchange rates. So that's something the U.S. could possibly do. But what would get the U.S. in that position to act in that Wade, is there a point when U.S. dollar strength starts to hurt the U.S. economy, if at all? That's definitely the case. Um, effectively, the the stronger dollar is playing a role in helping to bring down U.S. inflation. But the U.S. is a relatively closed economy, and so it has its biggest impact on the relatively small traded sector. And as the U.S. economy weakens, that sector is going to be hit particularly hard. This is something we saw in the mid-1980s when the U.S. dollar appreciated both under the pressure of a very expansionary fiscal policy, but a contractionary monetary policy in the U.S. And as a result, um, pressures for protection emerged, which were very threatening for the world trading system. The U.S. met with its major trading partners in 1985 at the Plaza Hotel in New York, and they agreed that the dollar needed to weaken. They intervened in foreign exchange markets to that effect, and it was a pretty successful initiative. So there could become a point of dollar strength, which um, you know could threaten the world trading system, could also threaten the world financial system, and where the U.S. does become alarmed. I mean, you know, going back to 2015, 2016, when um, the Chinese uh, yuan had a crisis, and that spilled over to emerging markets and other economies, uh, the U.S. Federal Reserve did hold off raising interest rates after their initial increase at the end of 2015 
partly over concern about world economic conditions. Now, they had the luxury of doing that because inflation was very low in the U.S., and the uh, motivation for raising interest rates was driven by other considerations than high inflation, which were, in a sense, more abstract and more postponable uh, than the current urgent inflation problem that the U.S. faces. Yet there may come a point where the shape of the world economy is dire enough that the, the Fed does feel it is a direct threat to U.S. Uh, prosperity, and then they would likely act. How about in the longer term then? It sounds a little unlikely in, in maybe the short to medium term, but do you ever foresee a day where the U.S. dollar could lose its dominant position? I mean, de-dollarization debates have been going on for a while, you know, with the emergence of the euro, with the yuan, um, but it hasn't happened at the magnitude that some predict. Could that change now? Or could that change at some point, given the kinds of trends that we're seeing in terms of geopolitics um, and with all the uh, externalities going on at the moment? I mean, it's hard to believe that the U.S. dollar can preserve its dominance as the U.S. shrinks as a fraction of the world economy. Though, you know, truth be told, it has preserved its share of the economy for quite some time, even as China has has risen. But generally, you know, dislodging a key currency and a key country requires big geopolitical events. You know, World War One, World War Two, you know, the fall of the Roman Empire. You know, if you go back, <laughs> if you go back in history. Or, and this was an issue in the Roman Empire at various points in time, uh, in currency instability. And if the U.S. does not get its inflation problem under control, um, that would threaten the dollar's status. But we do see major geopolitical tremors at the moment. You know, the Ukraine war has um, pushed Russia you know, largely out of the global economy in some sense um, into a much more restricted perimeter, you know, which, which incorporates China, incorporates India, other emerging markets to some Extent, and you can conceive a situation in which you move into into blocks with a sort of yuan block involving Russia, other emerging markets, uh, a dollar block centered on the U.S. But you know, for China to really take advantage of that, they would have to open up their markets much more extensively, at least to you know a subset of emerging market investors, and that requires giving up some control over uh, the financial markets, which so far they've been willing to do in only a very limited way. What are your views on cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin? Before the crypto crash this year, it was hyped as uh, the means to an end to fiat currencies. I mean, do you think this could materialize in the future? Well, I think the crash has illustrated the, the fallacy in that view. Uh, you know, ultimately, currencies are backed by the um, fiscal soundness of the governments that issue them at some level and their, their ability to tax resources uh, from the economy, uh, you know, consistently with the rule of law. Bitcoin is backed by absolutely nothing. Its value is essentially a complete bubble. And so I don't really see how it can fulfill the, the key role of a, uh, of a money, of a stable store of value. You know, now, if conventional fiat currencies become totally unstable, you know, because governments cannot control inflation, then they become more analogous to uh, to Bitcoin. But I don't see Bitcoin really gaining huge status as a widely used currency. Fiat currencies certainly have issues as as we are seeing now. I'm presuming and I'm hoping that um, governments throughout the world will be able to 
you know, return to the impressive gains they made over the years and, you know, preserving the stability of their currencies in CPI terms. The challenge, unfortunately, is I think broadly with the possibility of global recession looming, uh, this could be challenging in terms of social stability and political stability. And, um, you know, to some extent, the ability that we had up until now to reliably ensure price stability, even the, the stunning progress that was made in emerging markets, you know, has relied on a kind of political consensus on central bank independence and the goal of price stability and the supporting behavior of governments in terms of uh, fiscal stability that could go out the window. I mean, I look at the UK, you know, which was sort of a beacon of best practice in these regards with centuries of reputation building. And within weeks, the UK government seems intent on trashing all of that by, um, you know, embarking on a uh, totally irresponsible fiscal course that is inconsistent with what its central bank is trying to do. What they've managed to do in the space of a few weeks is, you know, effectively turn in a performance that, um, you know, many emerging market policymakers would be ashamed of. Is that the trend that you see going forward then, especially as we emerge from uh, the pandemic and we see governments and central banks having competing interests, I suppose, if if central banks want to tackle inflation, but governments are looking at uh, trying to spur growth, will there be more countries at odds moving forward? I think it's a potential problem. We are likely to be in an environment of, of lower growth after the pandemic, you know, for everyone, for various reasons. And um, any politician seeking to score points is going to claim that they have a recipe to fix that. And there are things that one can do. They're generally politically difficult, uh, you know, in terms of structural reforms. But um, turning up the heat in the economy by by running deficits is is not hard to do because in the short run, you can make many people happy. And so the temptation to go that route in the face of you know widespread discontent with growth that is lower than in the past, with um, you know an economy where you know it is harder for youth to find jobs and career paths that in the past, that's going to be very tempting for um, irresponsible politicians. And the message that you know we have to live within our means, and within our means we can have price stability and financial stability. That's not a message that is going to excite voters. It's a true message. <laughs> but, um, you know, we seem in a, to be in an environment where policymakers are much more inclined to deny facts, to deny um, analysis, to deny expertise, to deny science. And that's that should be very worrisome for everyone. Professor Obswalt, thank you very much for speaking with me today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I've been speaking to Maurice Opsfeldt, Professor of Economics at the University of California. This has been The Breakfast Grill on BFM 89.9. The Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile, where unlimited potential begins. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.